Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. The kingdom is that God's heart is that none should perish. We see God's heart for issue one laid out so clearly in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. God's issue one is his heart that none should perish. Can I get an amen? But as we consider God's heart for issue one, I think there's a more important question to ask. That greater question is, is God's issue one our issue one? Is God's issue one our issue one? Is it as important to us as it is to God? See, I would argue that that's a more important question to get an answer to because how many of you know that Jesus has already made up his mind on that matter? But it's something we have to make up our minds about. There can be a tendency that the longer that you follow Jesus, the higher chance there can be to lose sight of issue one. And we talked a little bit about this last week. And and when that happens, when we lose sight of issue, issue one, we tend to criticize, critique, and condemn those that we are supposed to have compassion for and celebrate. Our spiritual knowledge can puff us up or make us prideful, and as a result, we can elevate learning more and having more knowledge above reaching more people. When we lose sight of issue one, our distance from the world can create a disconnection, and we can isolate ourselves from the very people that God has called us to reach. When we lose sight of issue one, we, be, we can become more focused on defending our faith and preserving our freedoms than we are reaching the lost. And here's a greater, more sobering thought this morning when we consider this. When we lose sight of issue one, it is only a matter of time before we become more like the Pharisees than we do Jesus. As I said last week, every church has a choice to make. Every church, past probably, honestly, 10 years, has this choice to make. We will either continue to have compassion for and celebrate the lost, or we will take the route of criticism, critique, and condemnation. We will see people's conversions and treat them with conspiracy well, they didn't really mean it. Or we'll see how long, how long they really will follow Jesus. That's not the road we should take, amen? So we're going to continue this series, but before we do, let's go ahead and pray. Will you just bow your heads, close your eyes, join me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for issue one. We thank you for the opportunity, as Pastor Dwight already said, that next Saturday we have the opportunity. People are coming right to us And it's our privilege and opportunity to be able to plant the seed, water the seed, harvest the seed. God, it's such a blessing. But Lord, more than that, I pray that we would have your heart. God, we would not wait for people to come to us. We would be eager to go to them. God, I pray that your issue one would be our issue one in Jesus' name. And everybody said... As we get started this morning, just like last week, I've got a video clip that I want to show for you to illustrate once again God's... Wow. God's heart is that none should perish. Even if a person is an Islamic terrorist. If you won't go, he'll go. When I was watching this, by the way, his name is Afshin Javid, and he is now the leader of a ministry called, uh, I forget what it's called, but uh, it reaches out to Muslims, uh, Persians, Germans, and Jews uh, to, to tell them about Jesus being the Messiah. But when I watched that video, this is the thought that came to my mind. If he was worthy of Jesus's pursuit, would he be worthy of ours? 
if he was worthy of Jesus' pursuit, would he be worthy of ours? Let me, let me take that, step, that question to another degree. If you knew nothing about that man, and he walked through the front doors of our church, just get it personalized. And we saw his skin tone, we heard him speak, and he told us that he used to be a Hezbollah soldier, but now has found Jesus, would we meet his story with conspiracy? Or would we have compassion, wrap our arms around him, welcome him in, and celebrate him? Now that's a sobering thought because that makes this very real. It shows where our hearts are. To those that we tend to put into different boxes. Everybody, every one of us has a box. We have different boxes that we categorize people as those that God would clearly go after. God, those that God would clearly reach. But here's the interesting thing, is that God doesn't have boxes. The box is everybody and anybody. So are his boxes our boxes? Do we see everybody and anybody as someone that not, would, that not Jesus would go after, but that we would be willing to go after? That we would be willing to welcome in and receive? I can guarantee that if somebody came to the front door and said, I had three years in Hezbollah, but I found Jesus, the security team would be in a huddle. What do we do with, the, hey, keep an eye. I'm, I get it. I get it. But also, it's God's heart that none should perish. And he will go after everybody and anybody. If he was worthy of Jesus' pursuit, would we see him worthy of ours? Now, this is why that question is a very important question to consider. Because listen to me, that was an incredibly real situation for the early church when Paul, formerly known as Saul, came knocking on the doors of the Christian community in Damascus. It was a real scenario. In Acts chapter 9, we see Saul coming to Damascus to arrest Christians. He is a Christian terrorist at this moment in his life. He's on his way to persecute. He has a dramatic encounter with Jesus. He's blind, and now he's at, the man, at a man's house named Judas on a street called Straight. And Jesus speaks to Ananias, a disciple in Damascus, and says to him, go to Judas's house and pray for Saul because he is blind and he needs to receive his sight. And I want you to watch Ananias' response to God speaking to him. In Acts 9.13, listen to what he says. He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. He had a reputation in the Christian community, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. Why? Does it matter that God's heart would be our heart? That God's issue one would be our issue one? Listen to me. We've got to have that heart because when we do, we will no longer see Saul's. We will see someone who could become Paul. We will see the potential of what God could do on someone's life as a higher priority than their current state. Jesus came to Ananias and said, I don't, you don't know what I've done, but I'm telling you, this Saul is not Saul anymore, he's Paul. Do you see the lost people around you with the potential of what God could use their passion and gifting and calling or the lack thereof for? Do you see God's grace on their life before they ever meet God's grace? See, if we would get God's heart for the lost, we would see Saul's as Paul's before they ever came to Christ. 
We've got to ask this question, consider this question. When we look at our lost neighbors, strangers, co-workers, and family members, do we see who they could become when Jesus gets a hold of them? I love looking at or thinking about celebrities and all of their giftings and skill set and thinking to myself, man, if they would meet Jesus, look at what they could use their gifting for. We saw that last week with Kat Von D. Over 9 million people, 9 million followers on Instagram now hearing her testimony and story. What God can use people for, it's amazing. Paul was a chosen instrument and yet he was met with resistance by the church now Ananias had his trepidation but nevertheless he was obedient to God went to Judas's house prayed Paul received his sight but here's the amazing thing he met with the the Christian leaders in Damascus then he heads back to Jerusalem and he's yet met with resistance again Acts 9.26, listen to this. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing he was a disciple. (laughs) He's out on the streets preaching, and they're like, there's no way that happened. This is a conspiracy. He's using it to get in so he can associate with us, and then he'll arrest us. And thank God, we didn't read it, I didn't read, I'm not reading this far, but thank God a couple of verses later, you got somebody named Barnabas that was different. Says, no, you got to believe this guy. We have to be willing to open up our our lives and our, our hearts to those that even we are skeptical about the sincerity of their faith. And so he had a, issue but then he finally got around them and they opened their arms to him see they were not believing his disciple what does that mean that means they had met paul's conversion with conspiracy and rather than have compassion and celebration they shunned him and here's a key word phrase they did not welcome him he was not welcome in their midst he was not welcome to associate with them See, what you have to understand is that these Jews that finally recognized that Jesus was Messiah, they thought they were a select group and it was just it was just inclusive and it was just all about them. And over and over again, if you read through the book of Acts, you will find that Jesus has shows them revelation and rebuke over and over again to say, hey, it's not about your little group. There are more people that are supposed to be a part of this than you. And he had to remind them of God's issue one. Isn't it interesting that even in the early church, they lost sight of issue one so quick? That quick. Go into all of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, except for Saul. That quick. Because there's something in the human nature that creates boxes. We create boxes for safety and security. I want to be able to say I know this group, but I don't have any space for anybody else. We create these small boxes. And that gets in the way of issue one. Because then you don't have space for, for anybody. Then you treat people skeptically. Are you, see, are you hearing what I'm saying? Even in the early church, they had lost sight of issue one quick. Paul, the one who went on to write the majority of the New Testament, could have potentially been shunned by the early church, not had Jesus himself intervened. That's amazing. God's heart is that none should perish. As we consider issue one, in my opinion, there is no better picture of the heart of the Father illustrated for issue one and in pursuing and welcoming anybody and everybody other than Luke chapter 15. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Start right here, Luke chapter 15, verses one and two. If you got it, say, I got it. If you said you got it because you're looking at the screen, say, I was looking at the screen. (laughs) We got some honest people. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. 
Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. By the way, I don't know if you see that as crazy, but like in the cancel culture of today, to literally label a group as the sinners. Like that's just crazy to me. (laughs) Uh, The sinners. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners... And by the way, if you if you kind of break that down, like literally they were they were it wasn't they didn't care about the title. They were like, yep, that's me. Like their roll roll call was like, yep, I'm in that group. It's like they made sinning a business. Like they were professional about it. Their income stream was sinning. I mean, that's that's who we're talking about. All the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, say grumble, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, I want you to understand what, what, what it means when it says that they grumbled. It, it not only means that they were being critical, they were criticizing, and they were condemning Jesus and those he chose to be around, But I want you to listen to the word grumble. It means that they were angry and annoyed that someone is given unfair treatment. They saw Jesus eating with these people as unfair, undeserved hospitality. What have they done to sit with Jesus? What have they done to break bread with him? They're not even clean. Why is he giving them such unfair treatment? Because of issue one. You know, grace is never fair. Mercy is never fair. It's never fair. God's favor is never fair. This is not a fairness thing, middle children. (laughs) God's grace is never fair. And they're like, this is not fair. He doesn't, they don't deserve his time. They don't, they've done nothing to earn him sitting at the table with us. They were annoyed because of the way that he was welcoming them and receiving them. (laughs) This man receives sinners. He doesn't just tolerate them, he receives them. That word receive is this. It means that he was giving them access. It means that he was receiving them as a friend. You didn't just at this time, I'll never forget this, we were in Paris. Can't hide money. Um, I'm, totally, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> we just took a weekend trip to Paris, and um, I'll never forget. This shows you how it's not about money because our uh, dinner of choice was McDonald's. So we're in Paris eating McDonald's. And uh, I'll never forget that uh, we were sitting having food, and... There were four seats at, you know, one of those small rectangular, rectangular tables. And we're eating, and a dude just sits right at our table and just starts eating. And I'm like, whoa. I don't even know this dude. But culturally, that doesn't matter. But in this culture, that did matter. Because you don't just eat with anybody. The only people you eat with our family and friends. So when Jesus is eating with them, what did they do to deserve his friendship? He was approaching them saying, hey, we're friends from day one. That's what he was doing in this moment. They were annoyed at the access that he received them as friends. And here's another meaning for that word receive. To endure with patience. Jesus tolerated their ignorance, and the Pharisees didn't. He endured their flaws with patience. You know what that looks like, Beth? 
sitting and talking to somebody about Jesus and them dropping F-bombs, and you're like, oh, we don't talk about that at this table. I'm a Christian. And that's kind of in contradiction to my ethos. They were dropping F-bombs around Jesus, and he just blew it off. He endured them with patience because his love was greater than the condemnation and the critique and the criticism. What that tells me is that those Pharisees who were so holy were standing there watching Jesus eating with them, and they overheard the contents and the demeanor and the behavior of these sinners, and they're like scoffing. Oh, I would have been away from that table the moment that came out of their mouth. But Jesus endured with patience. You know why? Because he was about the long game. He was about the lost becoming found. When your heart is not the lost becoming found, you don't endure with patience. You get to a limit in your frustration of, I'm done with these people. It's not going to happen. He endured with patience. Now, why did the Pharisees respond this way? Because this is who the Pharisees were. Let me give you a, a, a brief background about the Pharisees. The Pharisees got their name not from themselves. It was a name, a group, a name that other people called them. They were given this for their strict adherence to being as clean as possible ceremonially, spiritually, and physically. Okay, Pharisees took two showers a day. It's a joke, because some of you guys are like, <laughs> I'm Sabbathing from the shower today. These guys were all about being clean and not being clean, and that was their boxes. You're clean, you're not. And it was about doing all of the ceremonial things. It was about being physically clean. It was about being spiritually clean. And you demonstrated your devotion to a holy, pure God by not associating with anything that you deemed to not be clean. So these sinners, never will I eat with them because they're unclean, and in order for me to properly worship God, I have to remove myself from anything that would keep, that make me contaminated or unclean. So they would prove their acceptance before God by how clean they were. And as a result of this desire, they avoided anyone who was not a Jew or any Jew who was not a Pharisee. They sought to live separately from everyone else to prove their holiness, and it would have been outside of their character to ever welcome or receive anyone who was unclean. Matter of fact, we talked about boxes. There were people that they would say, I would never be around them, and they are beyond the redemption of God. Their behavior is unacceptable. They're never going to change. They are the pharaohs that will harden their hearts. I'm washing my hands of them. They're, God will never accept them. And this is who the people that Jesus would just come and sit with. Now, this, these reasons are why they took a, such an issue with Jesus eating with these sinners. But somebody say, but. But what they failed to realize is that you don't prove how much you are like God by your separation from unclean people, but by getting your hands dirty in the lives of people. You don't, you don't prove how much you are like God by separation, but by getting your hands dirty in the lives of people. God got his hands dirty at the creation with Adam and Eve. And listen, he was getting his hands dirty, again, through positioning himself right in the middle of people that the Pharisees would have thought were too unclean for God to touch or reach. They wanted to be as clean as God, yet they didn't realize that the essence of holiness, God in the flesh, was still getting his hands dirty because, listen to me, holiness gets his hands dirty because of issue one. I'm not worried about these guys making me unclean. I'm worried about making the unclean clean. 
That's why he would touch the lepers. I'm not worried about their contamination. I'm worried about salvation and sanctification. And that only happens through opening up your life in proximity, coming close. So he said, I'll get my hands dirty with them. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now moving on to verse 3 in Luke chapter 15, what we see is, once again, one of Jesus' classic moves is he just ignores the comment. I love when people ask Jesus stupid questions and he doesn't answer them. When people make accusations or criticisms and he ignores them. He just, he ultimately will get to what they need to hear, but often he doesn't respond directly to them. So I love this very next verse. It says in verse 3, it says, So he told them this parable saying, what was Jesus doing right there? He was simply letting them know God's heart for issue one. He tells three stories back to back to back, and in these three stories, he does two things. Number one, he shows them the passionate love of the Father for issue one. And two, I think what's more important for us is he gives us profiles of what lost people look like. Okay, first, first one, Luke 15, 3 through 7. So he told them this parable. This is not in the presentation. Don't worry about it. So he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture. Say, leave the 99. And go after the one which is lost until he finds it, until he finds it. There is a relentless pursuit of the father, which is why God himself showed up in Afshin's jail cell. Picture this, God himself, until he finds the lost ones. When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Can the church rejoice with him? <laughs> if I got that call, I would have been like, it's just one sheep. I mean, what's the big deal? It's not my sheep. Part of the problem why issue one is not issue one in some Christian communities is a lack of ownership. Is God's issue one your issue one? He says he throws a party and invites them all over. I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Luke, cha uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 8, and 8 through 10. So that's the story of the parable of the lost sheep. Now we move on to the parable of the lost coin. Or what woman, verse 8, she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she's found it, she once again. Remember I talked last week about celebration? She calls her friends together and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is more joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And verse, lastly, in story, story number three, I'm gonna, we're going to read all of it, 11 through 37. Jesus tells the story of a lost son. So you've got lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And as the story goes, the son wants his inheritance from his father early. He gets it, leaves to go to a par uh, goes to party and squanders all of his inheritance in a foreign land. It says that he gets a job working with pigs, which means that if you associated with pigs as a Jew, that means that you've totally thrown off all of your religious belief and faith and said, I am no longer a Jew. I no longer believe in God. That's how bad it was to say that you were associating with pigs. It was so, so uh, important to not associate with that because they were unclean. So he goes and he squanders it. In the middle of his lowest moment, the son comes to a breaking point. He determines that it would be better to go back to his dad's house as a slave or a servant than it would be living in that lifestyle separated from him. So the, the boy begins his journey home thinking, how can I get right with my dad again? And I want you to listen to what the Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 24. It says, when he was still a long way off. I love that. 
His father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son started in his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. Verse 22, but the father wasn't listening. You know where we're at like one of our lowest points is when we are evaluating the sincerity of someone's conversion based upon the words coming out of their mouth. Did you, I mean, repeat this after me? Because it's not official until you've got steps one, two, three, and four done. And then you say amen. The father wasn't even listening to the speech because he had already made up his mind. He knew if he's back, that means something greater than the eloquence of his repentance. Says that he wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and then get a prize-winning calf and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found, and they began to have a wonderful time. What is the heart of the father? And what are the profiles of the lost that we see in these stories? And the story of the lost sheep, this is what we see. The heart of the father is to leave the 99 to go after the one. And the profile of the lost is we see the wanderer. The sheep was a wanderer. That sheep got to Places and spaces that it had never been in before and didn't know how to navigate back. Listen to me this morning. The moment the 99 are more concerned with keeping the 99 than going after the one is the moment that Jesus might just leave the 99 to go after the one. Going back to what I said earlier, Is his issue one our issue one? If Jesus, if that man in that prison cell was worthy of Jesus' pursuit, would he be worthy of ours? If you haven't felt God's presence in a while, maybe it's because you haven't reached someone in a while. And here's what I found, is that there are times where I don't need to experience the love of Jesus anymore. I need to share the love of Jesus, and I will experience the love of Jesus when I'm sharing it. So many times we want to receive, 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 but never pour out, never reach. And as a result, there are just some times where God's like, hey, I'm out after the one. Go and find me there. (laughs) You know, sometimes revival happens out there, not here. We want revival all the time. Revival in this room. Go after the one. Be willing to leave the 99. Go after the one. No, I want revival in this room. You'll find it out there, right? You, when you reach out, there are moments sometimes that you will not feel, sense, or experience Jesus if you stay here. You got to go. The wanderer, the one who's roaming through life, disconnected, never really finding their family or community, their life has gotten away from them. Who they have become is not who they desired to be when they were young. Do you know somebody like that? Who it's like, wandering is just like, I've seen this with my kids. Zeke is a wanderer. Man, I need a leash. But it's like you go somewhere and he just starts wandering off and all of a sudden he's, he's so far away. He doesn't even know how he got there, how, how big of a distance it's back. Can you imagine? This is what some people out in the world feel. They are just wandering through life. They have no purpose. They've got no vision. They, life has happened to them and it has caused adjustment over adjustment over adjustment, and they wake up in their 20s, 30s, and sometimes 40s realizing, man, this is not what I thought life would become. They're wandering, and yet you see Jesus saying, I'm going after the wanderer. I'm going after that to find them. The story of the lost son, coin, we see that God's heart is that every lost soul has a higher value to him than we could ever imagine. 
a measurable value. Although the coin was lost, it never lost its value to the woman. First story, I received the call from Jesus. He's like, I'm throwing a party. I got 99 sheep. I lost one. Some of us would think, isn't 99 enough? You must be greedy. He's not greedy. He's passionate for everyone. The second one, hey, I'm throwing a party. I found a penny. Bro, ma'am, it's just a penny. It's my penny. Are you seeing the picture he's trying to clarify here? To a group of people that gives no value to these sinners he receives and eats with. The coin did not know its value. The worth of that last coin was higher to her than anybody else because it was her coin. Listen to me. Why does the lost sheep matter to Jesus? Why does the lost coin matter to Jesus? And why does the lost son matter to Jesus? Because it's his sheep, his coin, and his son. He, they're all his. That's why it matters. No one is coming to you. When you got three kids, you lose one, you're like, you got two, that's enough. You ever been mad because you lost your keys and you judge how passionate other people's pursuit of your keys is? They're not looking hard enough. The, I lost my keys. You should care more. It's because these are his. They're his. God's heart is that every lost soul has a higher value to him than we could ever imagine. As Pastor Dwight said, the value of a penny, the value of a soul. Let me just say this. The lost profile we see in this story is the lost but doesn't even know it. You know, coins don't even have emotion. Coins don't even care if God exists. They are, they are indifferent to the existence of God. You know what else coins don't know? They don't know their value. They don't even know they're lost. They're a coin. They don't even know it. But they discover that they're lost when they've been found. Because in, it's in the finding that they find their value. That they, they realize how lost they really were. These are the people that are like, I don't even care if God exists. It, it, it makes no difference to them. They're just the lost coin. They only know their loss and they only know how much value, value they have when they're introduced to the one who created them. And lastly, in the story of the lost son, we see God's heart for the ones that were found but have strayed. Found but strayed. This was a son that said, give me everything I can get from this and then I'm going to go off and do my thing. And they are as valuable to God as the lost, lost ones are. Listen, it is one thing to be lost and have never tasted the goodness of God. It is another thing to have tasted and seen and still walked away. See, this is a different scenario. It's a different scenario because you can't blame lost people for lost behavior. But when you go from lost to found to I prefer to be lost again, that's a totally different scenario. And how much criticism and condemnation would become, come from us saying, they know better. But the Father is waiting patiently. Come back. Now, what's interesting about that is he's not necessarily going right after them all the time because he knows they know the way. They left. They left. They went out on their own. But that doesn't mean that his back is turned to the direction they left from. 
That just means he's waiting. I know you know your way back because there's enough seeds in your soul planted that will not return void. You will come back one day, but I want to let you know that when you come back, I am right here waiting to see you crest over the hill so I can take off. It's interesting because when he hugs him and he embraces him, he says, let's throw a party. He gives them a robe and then he gives them a shoes. Now, what's interesting about that is, let me just say this. People that have walked away from God that return, they, they feel it. They feel the shame and the guilt because they know. I should have never done this in the first place. And they all have a speech because they want to prove this, their sincerity. But if they're coming back into your house, it needs to just be embraced. I don't need to hear anything. Let's throw a party. Let's, let's talk about grace. And here's the amazing thing about it. It says that he gave him shoes. Why does that matter? Because slaves didn't wear shoes. And when he was coming back, he said, it, it would be better for me to just be a slave in my father's house. And he didn't even have to say it because as the scripture says, the father wasn't even listening. Give him shoes. Once a son, always a son. Even if you walk away from the father, I'm still here. You are my flesh and blood. I'm just waiting for you to come back to your father again. It is one thing to be lost and have never tasted the goodness of God. It's another thing to have tasted and seen and still walked away. But in spite of that, what would Jesus say to the son or daughter that has walked away? I will wait as long as you are alive for you to come back. I don't need an explanation. I don't need you to earn anything. I just want you home. Why does Jesus welcome and receive these sinners and eat with them? Because of his heart for issue one, Jesus ignores the Pharisees' condemnation, criticism, and critique of him and paints a beautiful portrait of the love that we talked about in these three parables. I will sing of your love forever. As we close, I want to remind you of something that we talked about earlier. And I talked about this last week, and I brought it up earlier at the beginning. Every church has a choice to make. We will either continue to have compassion for and celebrate the lost, or we will take the route of criticism, critique, and condemnation. And why does that matter? Because this was a choice that one pastor had to make to be a part of one of the greatest Christian movements to ever sweep America. Check this clip out. You don't know who that was, Pastor Chuck Smith. That's from Jesus Revolution. And this was true. Chuck Smith took over a church in California, and there was about 25 people in it. And those 25 people, let me tell you, they were faithful to defending their faith. It was about living separated, living isolated. It was a, they created such an us-them scenario. And it more closely looked like the Pharisees than Jesus. And Chuck Smith said, hey, man, 
I'm just going to make this decision. I'm going to open up the doors because every church has a choice to make. I'm going to open up the doors to people I don't understand, I can't figure out, that I think are controlled by the devil, are, are crazy and rebellious. They're what we often assume is that every lost person is rebellious by choice. But that's not always the case. People just don't know. But he chose to make issue one, issue one. And as a result of that, he became a part of one of the greatest movements to ever sweep America, the Jesus movement. Thousands of people got back. And let me just tell you, if you look him up, his reputation, he was not famous. His reputation as a pastor was not, uh, it wasn't glorious and glamorous. He was just pastoring a small congregation in California. But he got to be a part of one of the greatest movements to ever sweep America simply because he made one decision. God has issue one, his top priority. It hasn't been in my life. We've been about defending and preserving the faith. Because it's a crossroads situation. Often it's one or the other. I'm not saying we radically transform everything we do as Redeemer's Church, but I'm just saying, are you satisfied with just everyone that's in the room? Or do you know that there are seats that represent other people that God is trying to reach? But it requires that every church make the decision to open their doors. I want to end with this quote from that clip because it was so powerful. He said, I know we may seem pretty strange, but if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you will see a bunch of kids that are looking for all the right things just in all the wrong places. They are a sheep without a shepherd chasing hard after lies. And the problem is that your people reject it. They can only go through doors that are open to them. So here's a couple questions to consider as we close. Number one, is there anybody in your life right now that is a lost Saul that you don't see as Paul? Is there anybody in your life that is beyond redemption? Or you look at them and there's, you would say, I don't see God ever saving that person, ever reaching that person. They are beyond redemption, beyond hope. You don't even see, you don't even see the potential of who they could become if Jesus would get a hold of their life. Two, is there anybody in your life that you've given up on that Jesus would gladly receive? That you won't have dinner with? that you won't have a conversation with because you've given up on them. Let me remind you of what Corinthians says, that we have the ministry of re 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 reconciliation. And we cannot look at people that don't know that we have the ministry as the ones to open the door. And number three, is there anybody in your life that you could invite into your world that you've kept on the perimeter? Let me just encourage you with this. I want to encourage you over the next several, e several weeks, even Christmas Eve, to invite people to church, but beyond that, to have them over, to have the conversation with them about Jesus that you've been wanting to have, the family member, the neighbor, the coworker, these people in your life that you know God wants to reach and you have been like, choose everybody else but me. But you're the one in their life. Is God's issue one, your issue one? 
if they were worthy of Jesus' pursuit, would they be worthy of yours? Will you stand with me? His heart, that none should perish, for the wanderer, for the one that doesn't even care about God, but doesn't know their value, for the one that was found and is now lost again. What is our attitude and our heart for them? So if one of those questions at the end really kind of applied to where you are, let's pray. And here's my question, or here's my thing. Let's not just pray about it. Let's act on it. Let's act on it. So God, I pray in Jesus' name for courage. Pray for boldness. I pray for the right words. I pray for the right heart. I pray that we would love the way that you love. That God, we would be passionate about the issue ones in our lives. The family members that we might have given up on. The prodigals that have not come, and ho come home and now we are condemning their behavior and criticizing their behavior rather than having compassion because they're broken. Father, for the, the sheep that are just wandering around don't even know how they even got to where they got in life. And they need a message of hope and love. They didn't need to know about the purpose that God has created them for. Use us as those agents. But God, I pray that we, I pray for a holy, just, just upsetting, an inward agitation. If we just don't do it, if we don't have the conversations we've been needing to have, the people over that we've been needing to have. Talking to the guy that God says, speak to that person right now. I'm just at the gas station. I'm just at the grocery store. I pray for obedience, Lord. And God, whether we are planting, watering, or harvesting, I pray we would be obedient above all else, God. Transform our hearts that your issue one would be our issue one. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.